going to dig into Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 to 27. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 to 27. Um, when I uh, do my lessons, I always like to give them a title just for inspiration for me and a word from the Lord. Now, this one I title, Ezekiel is a watchman for the house of Israel. But after hearing of yesterday's events, I took a line from the book of Esther for a time such as this. And uh, this is where my heart is right now. And uh, I just thank the Lord because uh, most of you guys know that I've been tuned out for a lot of years. And he puts people around me so I have some idea what's going on. And he always seems to do that. Because if it hadn't been for those folks, I, 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 oh, what? What happened? I don't know anything about it, but I know quite a bit. And uh, I'm not going to uh, reconstruct the message that he's given me already. That's my intention. But he, he's been known to do things. So uh, I'm just going to go with what we've got here. So, Father, again, we just give praise and honor for your mercy, your grace, your Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Father, that... Uh, what you have for us tonight, Father, that we would be uh, willing, ready, and able to receive it. So uh, I give you praise and honor for this opportunity. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for their hearts. And I just pray, Father, that uh, as we uh, dig into your word, that if there's anyone here tonight who does not know you as a Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight would be that night. So we, again, we, we just we honor you, Father. We love you. We just give you all the praise that's due. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I just want to start off with some things that, that as I was going through this, that the Lord really struck my heart. I was reading uh, from a book that someone gave me by an author by the name of uh, J. Vernon McGee. And uh, these were some of the things that, that he said that I, I really liked. And then we'll, we'll dig in. He said, the greatest event in history was the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to live and die for the sin of mankind. The next greatest event was going forth of the church to believe, embrace, and spread the knowledge of his salvation throughout all the world. The church began in power and moved in power as long as she had power. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and tried to conserve her gains. But her blessings were like the manna. When she tried to store it overnight, it bred worms and stank. We had that. We have had that. We've had monasticism, which is the, most, the monastic life of or systems such as practice in the monastery by monks. We tried that. It, it bred worms and stank. We tried scholasticism, which is close adherence to traditional methods of teaching based on the authority of the Latin fathers and others that bred worms and stank. We tried institutionalism, which adheres to our belief in established forms of organized religion. These have all had an absence of spiritual power, so they bred worms and stank. Paganism is closing in on the church. God tells Ezekiel what he is to do and how he is to warn Israel. Let's look back and see if we can learn something. Verse 16. 
Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them according to the warning from me. God gives Ezekiel the, the job. Uh, it gives it the job of uh, being a watchman to warn his people. They may not want it, but Ezekiel is to warn them. And that's what we as watchmen for the church are called to do. There are some people that sit with us every Sunday morning, and it's hard to comprehend, but they don't have a desire to hear the word. Some of them don't even have a desire to be a, a child of God, or well, they are a child of God, but don't, to not have that personal relationship with him. And we're called, we have a charge to keep as ministers. We have a charge to keep that, teach the word, preach the word, and however it reaches them, if it reaches them, that's not your responsibility. And that's akin to saying, okay, I'm going to send you out to water, but Lord, can I, uh, can I just plant and water and, and watch it grow? That's not what I call you to do. Plant, water, and watch it grow. I have individuals to do all of that. I don't need you to do it all. But that's what we want. And the reason that we want that is because we like to see our work come to fruition. And that's not the way God looks at things. That's what we want to do. So he says, go out. But I'm preaching to them, but they're not hearing me. I'm teaching them, but they're not hearing me. You can't make them hear you. You can't give them ears to hear if they choose not to hear. So what I want you to do is just go out and do what I told you. Verse 18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that some wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I require at your hand. Well, Lord, that's not fair. Okay, I'm God and you're not. So who determines what's fair? And that's what we say, but... I witnessed to them for X number of days, X number of months, and they're still not responding. That's not your concern. It is, but it shouldn't be. The Lord has called you. He has called us. Teach the word in season and out of season. You can't make them hear. There are people that we get to be confronted with on a daily basis, a weekly basis, and they're not responding. Yeah, I know that works for you, but it doesn't for me. And we know in our hearts that the gospel works for everyone. It's just a question of you willing to listen and are you willing to be obedient to his word, his will, and his way. And a lot of us are not. And we, as humankind, want to do something about that. What do you do? You can't beat somebody over the head and make them want to convert. You can't beat them over the head and cause them to love the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm living in a way now where I'm having fun and I don't really want to mess it up. And if I gave my life to, to, to the Lord, then I've got to give up all these good things that I'm doing. What you're going to find, you're going to find that in hindsight, which is unfortunate, that these weren't really fun at all. All those things that we did, to our, how we abused ourselves in so many ways, how we allowed ourselves to be abused in so many ways. And now that we're beyond that, you're saying, what was I thinking? But that was the problem. When you put your trust in Jesus, 
When you put your trust in the Lord, he will guide your steps. And yeah, we all have plans, but our plans are not enough. It's him guiding our steps. Are you where the Lord wants you to be right now? And some of you will say, well, I'm not really sure. How do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I'm not really sure. So you and I need to be sure that we do have that relationship. How can I be responsible for somebody that I'm witnessing to if, uh, if they don't want to know the Lord? What we need to get past is the fact that, again, you've heard me say this 26 times. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And it always will be. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. Well, how do I know that the Lord's telling me to do? How do you recognize the voice of a close friend? How do you recognize the voice of your mother, your father, sister, brother, whomever, your best friend? Because you spent time with them, you know about them, and now that voice has become recognizable from any other. That's the same thing. When you spend a lot of time with Jesus, you know his heart. But I don't think he really speaks to me. Uh, it's not a question of whether he speaks to you. It's a question of whether you listen to him. So we, we have to understand we have a charge to keep. And that charge is teach the word, preach the word, and, and not be overly concerned about the outcome. But, you know, you don't know my brother. Yeah, I know your brother better than you do. And he will let us know when we're on the right path. And what I used to say in, in my earlier years was, well, how do you know it's, it's Jesus calling you to it? And I used to say, well, because I get a peace about it. But I've learned as I've matured in, in the Lord that it's more to it than that. I can create a false peace in my life if I choose to. And I've done it. I have done it in the past. But when you got that personal relationship with Jesus, you know that you know that you know that it's him that's working in your life. And that's where you want to be. Um, it is not a good idea to be in the place of a minister who does not give out the word of God. Well, he's a minister. He automatically gives out the word of God. That is not true. There are a lot of false churches out there. There's some churches who base their whole ministry on prosperity. There's churches out there that base their ministry on just get butts in the seats. There's, there's churches out there who who fill the, the, the calendar up with social activity. And that's what they're concerned about. Even tonight, um, just sharing with some friends, and they were just boasting about the fact that, you know, we spend way too much time with our message. Our church does sermonettes. We only have to sit and listen to the word for 15 minutes. And to do that in a boastful way. And to some, that's okay. There are people who have left this church that we know, that some of you know, well, the message is too long, so I'm going to go someplace else. I'm going to go somewhere where I can hear a short message and, and get up and do something else. And that's what they're concerned about. I don't want to be there anymore because the music is not to my liking. It's not fresh. It's not relevant. It's not hot. So we're going to go someplace else where that is the case. And when I asked these friends, so how was the message today? Oh, the, the worship was awesome. Oh, it was just like going to a concert. 
What else you got? Well, that's it. What else you need? You need the word of God is what you need. You need to go somewhere where you're being fed. You need to go somewhere. And it, it has nothing to do with the length of the message. It has to do with the content. It has to be what your heart is ready to receive. And part of our problem as humankind is how much truth about ourselves can we handle? That's a true measure of you. That's a true measure of me. How much truth can you handle about yourself? Do you want me to tell you the truth? Do you want me to tell you you're asking me for my opinion? And that's a difficult word sometimes. But now, are you ready to receive that? And if we tell you that we see what you're doing you, as, a, as a Sadducee, a Pharisee, we see what you're doing, but do you really have a heart for God? And if your answer is, sometimes, my ears hear the word no. You can't be a part-time Christian. You can't love Jesus with half of your heart. You can't uh, be loving. How, how will you know my people? I would know them for the love that they have for one another. Are you showing love for the people around you? Am I showing love for the people around me? And the last time I got to be here, I asked, search yourself and ask yourself, when I come around people, am I perceived as a uniter or a divider? And that's a tough question for us to answer. Because we want to believe in our hearts that I, I can bring people together. But you know and I know some people when they come around, it's like the Red Sea. They split. And what do you want to see? Well, I don't care what other people think of me. With one side of your mouth and then the other side of your mouth says, how come nobody likes me? Wait, make up your mind. One way or the other. And, and I, these, this is not something I'm making up. This is what we get to see in real life. We get to see this from so-called Christians. And granted, I can't judge. I got issues. But it's just that when we see these things, you can, we can, I'll speak for myself. I can become weary in well-doing. I want to do the right thing, but sometimes I allow the people that I associate with to bring me down. And I'm not saying woe is me. I'm just saying it can happen. It does happen. You know, we can, we can hang with the wrong crowd and we can get beat down and we start caving in to what they want us to be. That's not what the Lord would have for us. Are these friends, are these acquaintances showing love for one another? Are they showing love for you? And base it around that. And I'm not saying give up on it. Pray for them. Anytime I get to speak, the main thing in my mind is prayer. Pray, pray, pray. And I, I really believe that with all my heart. Um, verse 20, Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Shall die. Because you did not give him warning. Well, Lord, you can't blame me if I teach or preach to someone and they don't receive it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you don't take the opportunity to teach and preach as he's commanded us, then there's, a, there's, there's, there's a consequences to that. 
What can go wrong? What is the worst that can happen if you pray for a person? What's the worst that can happen if you minister to a person? Now, the thing that we have to learn is put ourselves aside. It's really not about us. It's never about us. Well, what about my feelings? What about my emotions? If you have a relationship with the Lord, that stuff will become irrelevant. It won't be about you anymore. He sent us out into all the world, and that's what he wants us to do. So let's never forget that. Let's never uh, understate what that really means. It is a challenge uh, with me, um, personal thing, but I, I had two brothers, and uh, they didn't have a desire to honor the Lord in any way. They worship Abacus, and it took them out, both of them. And uh, I think of that often because just by the grace of God, that could have been the three brothers. So last man standing, praise the Lord, uh, and he's taught me so much through that. He gave me an opportunity to see them. Uh, I mentioned this before when I was in the book of Daniel uh, pertaining to Alexander. Alexander started sucking out of the bottle, and in the end, the bottle was sucking out of Alexander. So that's what I got to see. And it's something you don't forget. Uh, This verse, verse 20, has been used to support the notion that a believer can fall from grace. This is something we get to hear often as well. A teaching that is not found in the word of God. Can I lose my salvation? No, you cannot lose your salvation. Did you earn your salvation? No. So how can you lose something you didn't earn? It's a free gift. Galatians 5.4 is the only place where you will find the expression falling from grace. The only place, falling from grace. I have fallen from grace. And it does not say that, but we get to hear that way too often. I stumbled today and I fell, so I, I, I lost my salvation. No. But I looked at something that I shouldn't have looked at, so I think my salvation has been taken away. No. No. Galatians 5.4 says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And what we need to understand is, if you look at your Bible, just, just grab a portion of the book of Genesis. This, you don't have to read anything here. I'm just, just showing you uh, an example. Grab this. Say, this is a part of us that has fallen. This part, these pages alone shows our falling. Everything else shows redemption. So think like that. You know, if, if, if God didn't just continue to focus on how we've fallen, He focused on allowing us to be redeemed. Then that should encourage us. Just a small portion of the the Bible talks about the falling. But all the rest is about redeeming. So let's be conscious of that. It's, It's such a great thing to know that we have a God that loves us constantly or in spite of ourselves. And it's just a wonderful thing. And and I just the the desire of my heart is to at least encourage each and every one of us that Jesus loves us.
that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And here, with this verse 20, it is not speaking of salvation, but of those who have been saved by grace. And we know so many uh, that are caught up with the law. They want to live under the law. And the, and the reason that we like legalism, that we have become realistic, because they're intending, uh, they are tempted to live by the law instead of by grace. Why do they like law rather than grace? They like law rather than grace because law can be measured. I can compare myself to you under the law. That's what the Sadducees and Pharisees did. They compared themselves to the other people with the phylacter and uh, the, the, the robes and, and all the other outward things. But Jesus said to them, inside there are dead men's bones. We don't want to be like that. We want to be the real deal. We want to know that we're serving Christ in everything we do. So if we try and live under the law, we'll find out that we can't. So he knew that. So he says, okay, we're, we're not going to be under the law. We're going to be under grace. You can measure yourself to someone else under the law. Under grace, you can't do that. You can't quantify it. That's why some of us don't like it. I don't like grace. Why? Because I have no way of proving that I'm better than you. That was God's intention. That's exactly what he wanted. He wanted not to be able to measure up. And that's why he called those out who were faking it. They were being phonies. They wore the, the things that you're supposed to wear to get people to notice you. They prayed constantly in public so people would notice them. So... You can see the law working, but you can't see grace working unless it's individually. You can feel it. You can know it because God, when he uh, imputes his Holy Spirit into us, every sense is awakened. All those five senses are awakened. So they're, they're all greatly, greatly magnified, and that's what we want. That's when you know that the Lord is definitely working in you. When you can put yourself aside and put someone else ahead of you, that's when you know the Lord is working. The word of God teaches us that we are saved by grace and, as, and are to live by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I do have faith in him most of the time. Those kind of answers really disturb me greatly. You tell your, your friend or your relative you trust them sometimes. Now, what that really translates into, I really don't trust you at all. Sometimes. You determine when you can trust them and when they're not. That's not being trustworthy. And so when Jesus sees you, all in all or not at all? Are you sold out? Verse 21. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous... Righteous man that the, the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered, you will have delivered your soul. Verse 22, then the hand of the Lord was upon me, Upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I will talk with you. I want to set you aside. I want you and, and myself to be eye to eye, one on one, because I want to know that you hear me. 
And this watchman, uh, Ezekiel in this case, held a very important position in the ancient world in the days of walled cities. The cities were walled for protection and the gates were closed at nightfall. With a trained eye and a trained ear, the watchman looked and listened for every movement and every noise. The watchman was turned into, to the, tuned into the approach of danger and the approach of an enemy. And uh, the word of God has a lot to say about this watchman, in this case, Ezekiel. Uh, Isaiah 62.1 says, I ha- Isaiah 62 says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. So what he's saying here in layman's terms, there's joy in the house of the Lord. We won't be quiet. Some of us say, well, I don't have the boldness, my friend. I don't have the boldness, brother, to speak the word of God. I'm afraid they're going to reject me. And you guys have no idea how it feels to be rejected. I think Jesus might be able to respond to that one in a positive way. And so do we. We've been rejected. Uh, Psalm 127 says, 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Are you a true watchman? Are you a keeper of the word of God? And keep means not just to inspire yourself, but to encourage others with it. That's what a true watchman does. And, and the ministers today, uh, for the most part, are watchmen. They keep an eye out for things. In the Hebrew cu- culture, the watchmen functioned in three watches of the night. The three shifts were from dark until about midnight, from midnight about, till about 2 or 3 o'clock, and from then until dawn. I have the question, that: do we need watchmen today? Who are our watchmen? The police officers are watchmen. The ministers are to be watchmen for their community. The ministers should be able to give a warning of danger and be responsible to give a message like the type in Isaiah that we just spoke of. I have set watchmen on the wall, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. The word is Lord, the word of the Lord is on my lips. I won't be quiet. I won't be silenced. And I will rejoice in him. In between every breath. That's where he wants us to be. The book of Isaiah also teaches us that the watchman had not only a responsibility, but a visibility. Now, and the reason that I included this in my notes, because there are a lot of them say, well, I pray. I pray all the time. But once in a while, you've got to make an appearance. As a wise man said, you've got to participate. You have to participate. And, and prayer is great. Prayer is the best thing that we got going for us through the Holy Spirit. But every once in a while, you've got to make an appearance. You've got to go out. You've got to be not necessarily heard, 
you can be a lighthouse. A lighthouse is not required to make any noise. But you can be seen. The idea is to be seen. And, and make sure that it's understood what you represent. You can show up with a sign. Uh, you can show up with a Uzi. Your call. But show up. And make sure that you're honoring the Lord in what you do and what you say. We're not all alike. Fearfully and wonderfully made. So he's saying, I want you to go out. I want you to go to that meeting. I even want you to go to that rally. But only if the Lord's calling you. It's all individual. Well, you got to come go with me. No, I don't got to. You know, the Lord has not called me to do that. If you want to go to that rally, if you want to go there with intention of bashing heads, so be it. But that's not what the Lord has called me to. So visibility is very important. The minister wants to be able to distinguish the enemy out there in the darkness. The minister must also be able to recognize when there is a wolf among the sheep. That's a tough one, my friends, because you've got to take action. Tomorrow may be too late. I see a wolf among the sheep. The wolf is not saying, well, you know, I'll give them 12 hours and I'll, I'll start devouring them. No, we have to be active. You have to be active. Well, that's the minister's responsibility. That's the pastor's responsibility. Yes, but you also have a responsibility. We can't do it all. We can't see everything. And we need the help. We need your prayers. We need for you not to think that where they're pastors, they're covered. Yeah, they're covered in what? You know, so we have, to, we have to depend on you to pray for us. We don't have a way of avoiding these things, of being immune to these things because of the badge that we carry. We need you to be involved. We need you to participate in prayer. We need you to pray for the pastors, the deacons, the elders. We need that. It's not just a want, a desire. It's a need. We need that. Uh, the minister must be able to encourage the sheep as much as the spirit will allow. We must. That's our reasonable service. Encourage the sheep as much as the spirit will allow. The watchman is to warn the sheep who has turned from good works to living in a way that conforms to the standard of the enemy. Well, if they want to go outside the pasture, that's their business. I'm not concerned about that. Wrong thinking, that is stinking thinking. We have to be concerned. And uh, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to do the things he did. He left the 99 to bring back the one. Everyone in this room at some point has been one of the 99. Everyone in this room at some point has been the one. But God, he brought us back. He saved us. He redeemed us. And I'm thankful for that, especially more than any of you will ever know. Verse 23, so I arose and went out into the plain and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory which I saw by the river Chavar and I fell on my face. And this is, this is what Ezekiel did in, in chapter 1. And now he's doing it again. Because when, when you see the glory, when you experience the glory of the Lord, you're not going to be able to stand. 
And that's what he wants from us. That's what he wants. The glory of the Lord. God uh, now tells Ezekiel to leave these people. What? God says, I would never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, this is different. Just like uh, for when, when people see that God commanded that, don't pray for that person any longer. Well, that's not God's heart. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. Learn his heart and you'll get a better understanding of what's fair and what isn't. Why would he say don't pray for someone? Why would he say in this context, leave them? God calls Ezekiel to leave these people. Um, the glory of God will appear many times in the book of Ezekiel. What is glory? What is glory? Glory is something that produces sensation on all five of our senses. What does that mean, brother? The glory of God is everywhere you go. Everything we see, everything we hear, everything we smell, everything we touch, and everything we taste. And the following verses should encourage and warn us. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Guys, look around us. Look at the, the fall, look at the leaves, look at you know, the change in the weather. Who's in charge? Who's conducting this orchestra? He knows what we need. So he does that. Uh, another verse, Isaiah 28.1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is ahead of the verdant valleys, to those who overcome with wine. And now... We've become overcome with wine or, or strong drink or however you want to interpret that. And now we don't have an appreciation for his glory anymore. We want to give uh, the glory to the people who can control the weather. We want to give uh, glory to the people who are doing all these evil things that now they're taking that away from us. God is in charge. Always was, always will be. A couple more verses. Isaiah 6, 63, 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's the Lord, folks. There's only one high and lofty one. That's him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is no other. There is no substitute. There will be an attempt to stand in the gap, but he doesn't really leave a gap for standing. I would never leave you nor forsake you. He means it. Psalm 8, 1. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. God's glory. That's it. That's what glory is, friends. And one more, Daniel 5, 18. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Nebuchadnezzar, read the book. Read the book. But the guy was horrible. He was awful. Yeah. Was David a, 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 
a problem? Was David a sinner? Yeah, but God. Well, how about Moses? He uh, tried to make excuses for not obeying what the Lord has said to him. Okay, how different is he from you and I? How about all the other saints of old that didn't fall in line with what God called them to? There were consequences. But God. Verse 24, then the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, go, shut yourself inside your house. And the very name of God suggests his glory and his dignity. Ezekiel saw the glory of God. Have you seen? Are you seeing the glory of God? Are you seeing it now in your life? If not, why not? Well, I don't really know how to connect to him. Start out by reading his word. Start out by just jumping in there any, anywhere you want. Find a character in the book, in the Bible, that has a history similar to yours. And everybody can. Everybody. I don't care who you are. You know, they all have some type of history. We all have some type of history. Oh, this one is pretty close to me. Let me read and see what the Lord did in his or her life. And he will encourage you through that because he lets you know that no one is beyond his reach. No one doesn't really matter. And there are some uh, pretty shady characters in the Bible. You know, and read, read Hebrews 11 and see where they ended up. Wait a minute. How could, how could he end up here after what he did? You're here. You weren't born here. You were someplace else and you decided, I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. I'm going to come into his kingdom. And here you are on a Sunday night, rainy. I mean, you could be doing a whole bunch of stuff. Some of you, eh, you know, I don't know. But um, verse 25, and you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that... You cannot go out among them. This verse is often interpreted as the enemy binding Ezekiel so he can take him out of the house. However, Ezekiel wanted to stay in that house and he would not go, although they had bound him. And what Ezekiel did, instead of speaking a great deal, Ezekiel is going to act out what God gives to him. He goes into his house and locks himself in to show that God had rejected this rebellious people. Uh, I find the word rebellious in chapter 2, and I'm going to do it again. In this context, rebellious means showing a desire to resist authority, control, or convention. In uh, uh, layman's term, you might call that a, a sunats. You might call it a rockhead. You might call it stubbornness or a whole bunch of some other names that wouldn't be appropriate for the audience. But it's, it's hard-headed. They're rebellious. They're hard-headed. Verse 26 says, I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. 
And he uses that word over and over and over again, showing a desire to resist authority. That's us. Showing a desire to resist control. That's us. Showing a desire to resist convention. That is us. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 27, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, he who hears, let him hear, and he refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. You can't save anybody. Do what the Lord asks you to do and he'll get the increase. Guaranteed. He will. Ezekiel's responsibility was to say, thus says the Lord. Ezekiel is to give God's word to these people, and that is the only time he is to speak to them. He had, we have, only the word of God to give them. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's what he calls us to do. So why do we kick against the gold? Because we're wrapped in flesh. I want things to go my way. If I, if I minister to this person for a, a whole seven minutes, then I expect them to say, yeah, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If not, that's it. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go someplace else. This person isn't hearing it. Uh, back in Ezekiel 3.7, you don't have to go there. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel and impudent and are impudent and hard-hearted. I want to remind you guys uh, of that word impudent, marked by offensive boldness. Not showing due respect for another person. How will you know my people? By the love they have for one another. But here, that impudent person is not showing due respect for another person. Hard-hearted can also be translated as hard-headed. God used Ezekiel to be strong of forehead. And back in Ezekiel 3.9, he said, Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Uh, they're going to have hard heads. But what I'm going to do in you, Ezekiel, I'm going to make your, head, your forehead even harder. Because they're going to resist you. They're going to resist me. But I don't want you to become weary and well-doing. I want you to continue to stay the course. I want you to continue to aim for the mark. I want you to continue to listen to me and do as I ask. It's not just you, Ezekiel. It's all my sisters and brothers who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's for all of us. And we're going to wrap it up. It is sad to observe that the exile and affliction did not make the Jews more responsive to God. Rather, they were hardened by their offerings. God gave Ezekiel a hardness to surpass the people and sustain his ministry as prophet to the exiles. So all he's really saying is, these people are going to reject you. But they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. 
And it's important that we think that way, that we, that be foremost, uppermost in our mind, they're rejecting Jesus. And we do take it personally. Again, back to the thing of being uh, wrapped in flesh. Stop saying it's all about me. And a wise person gave me, um, I don't know what you call it. She said, be a Q-tip. Be a Q-tip. What does that mean? Quit taking it personally. And that stuck with me because I do and I did. There's some things that have been said. You know, um, I used to, used to be offensive. You Bible thumper. You Jesus freak. You holy roller. And now I just say, praise the Lord. I had to learn that because it was offensive. But now, uh, guilty, guilty as charged. And I continue to stand by that to this very day. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your spirit in us. I'm thankful again for my sisters and brothers coming out tonight, Father. And I pray that uh, your word was rightly divided, Father. And if I had said even one word that discouraged my sister or my brother, I pray that you would wipe it from us right now, Father. So again, we give you praise and honor for who you are. And we're so grateful for whose we are. We're just so thankful, Father. So I pray for tra safe traveling mercies as we go out tonight, Father, that we make it home. Uh, we know that you're with us here. You're with us on the way there, and you will receive us at our homes, Father. So have your way, Father. And may all our words and all our deeds that we say from this day forward, may it glorify you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out.